0: Stop it, stop it. For the first part of a two parter with writer, director, and leader of Bratz Nation, Janixa Bravo. <music>
1: I watched the Cosby Show, so I had seen a show with like a little black girl, and I remember thinking like I'm Keisha Knight Pulliam. I don't even know if that's how you say her name. But I, was like, that's
0: who <laughs> I, I think I'm. it's Pulliam. <laughs> Pulliam,
1: great, great. I was like, I'm Rudy, um, and then I had never really thought like, well, where else is Rudy in the world? I just never considered that mm. like Rudy could even be there because she just wasn't, um, and most of my cinematic heroes did not cast Rudy.
0: In part one, we'll get into her work's interrogation of whiteness, the BS critical response to her debut feature, Lemon, and the sad comedy of being a Black woman television director. So welcome back, Culture Machines, to another episode of Don't At Me. I'm your host, Justin Simeon. Today, we have the only Black, Panamanian, Jewish woman working in comedy joining us Janixa Bravo Janixa made a name for herself directing several award-winning quote-unquote stressful comedy short films such as Gregory Go Boom starring Michael Sarah, and directing on television shows like Atlanta and Dear White People she wrote and directed her first feature film Lemon starring Brett Gelman which was released in 2017 now next on the docket is her highly highly anticipated long-awaited second film Zola the film premiered at this year's Sundance and is a wild tale of two women who take the Florida road trip from hell and is based entirely on a Twitter thread. So welcome, Janixa.
1: <laughs> Thanks for having me. I'm so, so excited to get into it with you.
0: Yes, I, I am too. I I just, um I, I rewatched Lemon ahead of our conversation just to sort of refresh myself and um Oh, I just, I, I, I just think you're so brave and so bold, and you just seem to not give any fucks. And I just, I really admire you. So um, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Oh,
1: thank you. oh well, thank you. I we met at Sundance a few years ago, and you were yeah. there with dear white people. What, it, what, it, what year is that? Two thousand sixteen oh, that, or
0: seventeen? F- that's fourteen, honey. That's twenty fourteen.
1: Yeah. Is it really? Yeah, wow. we're all.
0: I've been recently informed that we're old and I don't like it.
1: Isn't that weird that like, uh, do you have that thing where you think the 90s is 10 years ago, but it's really 20 years ago?
0: 100%. We were playing The Love Below in the house. And Rick, my boyfriend, was like, you know, this was 20 years ago. And I was like you know we have to break up how dare you,
1: you <laughs> so wow that was okay so if that's wait it wasn't
0: it wasn't 20 but it was like 18 or 50, it was like a longer time ago than i wanted to believe and so you know we're working through that in couples counseling right now
1: i'm not engaging with it i i just i won't have it um it was 2003
0: 2003 was the love below okay but oh, more importantly God. 2014 is when you and i met at sundance
1: yeah, we met. I have a pretty clear memory of meeting you on the street right after your premiere of of Dear White People. And it was just like this kind of fleeting moment. And I was like, I'm coming to see your movie. And then we we just, I don't remember, someone Black introduced us. They were like, you no. guys, you make things, you talk to each other. And um, I, I was there with, I think my friend first short. I think I was there with Gregory Go Boom. And we just talked like really quickly on the street. And I was like, I love that person. And then we we were ships in the night.
0: Ships, total ships in the night. And then um, your name had come up for season two of Dear White People. And I was sort of, I'm always on the hunt for black voices that are cinematic, funny, um, but also clearly have something to say. And that was the context in which I watched Lemon and was like, please get this woman on a plane, a boat, a train, <laughs> a car, whatever we need to get her on this set. And And that's when I fell, In love with you. Because to be honest with you, I was probably totally dissociated in Sundance, which is a term I'm learning from therapy. Um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But seeing you work on the set of Dear White People was such a revelation because you are, it's obvious that you're a very intellectual filmmaker, that you really, really have a mind for cinema. But what blew me away, because you don't always get this too, is that you are also very, you're very performance first, like you're very actor first. uh, At least you were on my set. And um, where does that come from? Like, how are you both those things? Like, that just doesn't seem fair.
1: I really appreciate you thinking that I have an intellect for cinema because that's not exactly how... I perceive myself and I well I just feel I think of my I think of myself as very much like a theater person and I mm. think that's why I'm an actor person is that I'm like I am to me I'm very theatrical and like my orbit is that I am orbiting in sort of like a theatrical performance space and and mm. in that in that world to me the actor is first and probably has to do with that I was also an actor and that that is, I guess, what makes the most sense to me. I think like when you walk away from the piece, and I'm, I think your show does this too. When you walk away from the piece and when you walk away from anything, I feel you want the performance to be the loudest note, right? Like there's nothing more painful, I think, or rather... I think it's trying to say something else when somebody walks away and goes, oh, the, it was really beautiful or, or the music was good or mm-hmm. the, or the, when you start to focus on like design aspects, it feels like it means the writing wasn't there and the script and the, and the performance wasn't there. And yeah. I want to walk away and remember the actor first. And that's also like, I think the thing that the audience really gravitate towards and like take away from, if the other stuff is all in harmony, that'll be there too. But if there isn't the performance, I mean, we've seen... Great performance that we fell in love with and shitty scripts, but it's, Mm -hmm. there's not really like the, if the performance is bad, there's almost nothing. It's kind of hard to see, like, it was a good script. It was the acting or it was a good script. It was, you know, the, the photography. Like, I think you do need the performance. That's always going to be the lure.
0: Right. Right. I, well, I think that's a really smart way to look at it. And I think lemon is a perfect place to kind of formally begin our conversation. That's a very weird way of saying that.
1: I liked it. It sounded so, um, uh, I don't know. It felt so old fashioned.
0: I'm a little old fashioned, you know? Yeah.
1: I was like, Oh, it's like a Dick Cavett moment.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So Brendan, I believe you have a Facebook co- a question from a Facebook oh. fan of ours. Oh,
1: please. So our
0: first question is from Delisa McGregor. Um, Delisa has listened to all of our podcasts, always asking great questions. Um, her question is for Janixa. How would you describe your storytelling and what impact do you want to have on viewers when they watch your stories?
1: I would rather the audience walk away with questions rather than answers. Mm. Mm-hmm. Is what I what I hope is is that what that you lead the audience with is more of like a question space and less of an answer space. I just to me that feels more like how I want to be fed. You know, it's been so long since we've like gone to the movies, but you you know that thing where you go to the movies and then you walk away and you're just talking to someone, like the pleasure of the walk after the film, the pleasure yes. of the walk after the show, you know, and like being able to do that that thing, the romance of that thing is about leaving the person with questions unless they just totally hate it and they want to like eviscerate it. Then that's like another experience, but- <laughs> Sure, um, that happens as well. Yes, yes. I, I forget now what the first part of the question was. I think the second was the sort of takeaway and the first was what? Uh,
0: how would you describe your storytelling?
1: Oh, describe my storytelling. Um, I would say, I hope that it is- funny and uncomfortable and um, and theatrical and visceral. But that answer is also like what I hope my own work to do. When when you're stepping into the role of being a director for hire, if you're directing someone else's writing, that, that can kind of change because so much of TV directing is about being somewhat invisible. Mm-hmm. And so there isn't necessarily always the room to take your own spotlight, right? I I do feel in your show and in actually, I would say probably most of the shows that I've gotten to direct, I've had the room to bring some of myself to what is already a very um, rich and established ecosystem.
0: Yeah, I I would say so. I mean, you know, you directed the ninth episode, the penultimate episode of the second season where Sam um, goes home to visit her family and dear white people.
1: Well, for me, it would have felt like getting a chance to say goodbye. But you took that from me. And I lost my father. And I lost my husband. That man was the only person who really understood me. For years after we married, nobody in my family would even talk to me. It was just us. It was my whole world. So you don't have a monopoly on grief, little girl.
0: I remember hoping that because she leaves the world of Winchester, that the episode would feel, be able to feel different and sort of take on, you know, whatever quirks, whatever director we would hire, you know, would bring to it. And it is such a singular episode. It is not like any other episode in the show, although it it, it fits in with our world. You were very respectful I felt, um, you know, to some of the rules that we established. But your episode is very particular. And it's what I love so much about the episode is that I don't think if anyone else directed it, um, it would be anything like that. I just, I, I really just, I thank you for, you know, playing by the rules, but more importantly, not playing by our
1: rules. <laughs> you know,
0: when you knew something was would be a better idea, because you, I, I just made a lot of good choices on that that I just was so impressed by.
1: Thank you. I I, I feel it's important to note because I, I've never been able to say this out loud. I've told it to you a couple of times. And I think this has to do so much with what you did with that show, not only in front of the camera, but behind the camera. And I told you, I, te- I think I emailed you this or text you this like a couple of weeks ago. And I know I said it to you before, but it, it was so important to me to state again that Your show is the only show I have ever worked on where the first day I got to work, people knew that I was the director. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) I'd never experienced that before that moment. This was, I think it's my third time directing TV is when I worked on your show. And since then I have done you know, like a handful more shows, but my first day is always kind of like a comedy, right? Like, I think I told you there was a show where I got there and they pointed at the packages and I was like, I'm actually directing. Uh, There's like (laughs) another day where I get there and they're like, oh, lunch is like, you know, it's like, are people asking me where the bathroom is or where food is? I always end up like be whatever my package is. My package says some like sort of like beta subservient role. And like, I am here to be in service. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And the first day I remember pulling up in my car and the, it started with the valet or the security guard being like, are you here to direct the next episode? And I was like, huh and then I, like <laughs> parked my car and I was like the guard you know and then which by the way the guard is always my first entryway to a aggra- like some kind of aggression Absolutely. it's like Absolutely. you're obviously some kind of field person what are you doing here? <laughs> um and so when and then and i remember parking the car and walking in to this like really large space where i had no idea where i was supposed to go and and maybe an intern you know someone with a clipboard being like are you are you directing the next episode? And I just thought you had created a world where someone who looks like me could be the director. And I had never experienced that. And I just think it's worth noting because I really applaud you for for the thing that you made. Well, I
0: I appreciate that. But to be honest with you, it's like, to me, it was like, no, duh. It's like, this is a show about a lot of things, but it was very clear from the movie that the audience that was showing up was responding to the black female characters and perspectives. And I had no business doing a show like that by myself uh, without having black women at every stage of the process. So it, it helps me out a lot <laughs> that you picked up the phone and said, yes, it came and, and worked with us. So um, I thank you for that. But I and I, the thing I love about what you just said is that you never you don't suffer fools quietly you sort of you do do what you have to do to get through the moment but then you have no qualms about talking about them and i have to say when i was watching lemon for the second time i got really angry because the first time i watched it i didn't really watch it in the context of whatever cultural conversation was happening around it because we were doing the show i was like i just was caught up and i have to say i really feel like film commentators let this piece down I feel like it really deserved a much bigger spotlight in our conversations about cinema, but also about all the issues that you were bringing up. I thought it was really, really brave. And I just wonder, like, do you know that? Like, are you because you should know that.
1: Like- uh, yeah. You know, it was very painful. You know, I'll just say it f- flat out. Uh, the movie was not received very warmly. That said, there were people who were very generous to me also uh, who did get it. You know, uh, Mark Olson from the L.A. Times is like a guardian angel to the film. He wrote about it three times and like really championed it. Uh, you know, the New York times said I was anti-Semitic. Um, the -hmm. New Yorker, Mm -hmm. you know, like a dream of being in the New Yorker. And I think they were like, this is terrible. Um, and (laughs) variety, like ripped it to shreds. Like people were really, really aggressive and super violent about it. And it hurt. It totally hurt. And I think that that, but I'm, I'm also grateful that I had that, like, that I kind of got like Punched around a little bit. I mean, Mm. in a lot of ways, though, the movie the movie also did do a lot for me. Like, while it did not work for the critics, who are every critic that hated it was a white guy. Um, Most critics are, you know, straight white men. Uh, I didn't have enough of a voice at that point to be like, let's invite like women and black people to write about the movie. I didn't even know I had to ask for that. I think I thought Mm. that that just something that happened. Um, but lemon was my training wheels, like releasing lemon, making lemon were my training wheels so that when I got to Zola, I was like, this is what I need. And it has to be that way. And I'm not asking permission. I'm stating it. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm also really grateful that I got a little like manhandled by that experience, if it makes sense. And it brought me Zola. It did like, while it may not have worked for, you know, a bevy of critics, it worked enough for a 24 that they thought I should make it. And that's the best prize was that like, mm-hmm. it did bring me to my second movie, like whatever it is, it did that. And I think enough people understood it, but it was really sad making. I mean, it is, um, I don't look like that movie as you know, you've seen it, mm-hmm, it, it
0: mm-hmm, a mm-hmm.
1: movie filled with many white characters. And I, when I talked, I have said this about my work before that my work is about it is about whiteness actually. My work is in conversation with whiteness. I am interested in like anthropologically discussing whiteness. White in the world is the invisible. And for me and for you, you know, being black people, being going in and out of many white spaces, we know that white is not invisible. In fact, white is very visible to us. And so I really wanted to take what was to me this sort of like unspoken genre of like straight guy comedy. You know, I live at home or I don't live at home, but I live in a space that's like, how did I afford to live here? I sort of have a job. I have a very supportive family. I have an incredible partner who I'm not respectful of, who I don't care for. And like that everything works out for There's like this whole genre of movies that does this thing.
0: Tracy, what am I going to say?
1: That I'm bad.
0: I didn't know you had this in you. To be honest, the only thing that kept me from kicking you out of this class was that you look a lot like this woman I wanted to spend my life with. Milky skin, wavy hair, New York girl. Absolutely astounding. This is the type of work none of you have come close to.
1: They're devoid of, of rich female characters devoid of people that look like you and me We don't even get to be black ground in these movies and um, and everything works out for them and there's totally an audience for it and I basically was saying like look I want to be in comedy it's very hard for me to be in comedy like they're not people who look like me who want to work in this sort of like stressful comedy space So like this is my, This is my, uh, I'm like carving out the lane for myself and having a conversation with what these movies look like and how they dismiss me. And so this Mm. is how I see that character. And I think that it was like maybe too like heady to arrive at, but like, you know, you saw it. It is, I think you have to be a little open to it. And I guess it's a little bit weird. And I just, I didn't even know that. I didn't know it was weird. I didn't know it was such a radical... Mm approach to this space or I I felt like what those critics were saying was that I didn't have it. It wasn't, it wasn't my right to do it or it wasn't, it wasn't my place to do it. You know, I had to be invited and I wasn't invited. You know, I was on the outside looking in and they were basically saying, yeah, that's right. You are on the outside looking in.
0: Well, one thing I, I wanted to say is that I I think that the film is incredibly bold and interesting and really astutely and assuredly made. Um, but I I you know it isn't weird in the context of say um, you know uh, like a like a Yorgos Lanthimos movie. You know he sort of is doing all of the things that you do in that movie in The Favorite and is totally you know venerated for it, he's praised for it he is eulogized for it he is a god a cinema god for doing it and I think that what's interesting for me about Lemon is that it makes me you know it is a very heady movie but it's also very emotional it makes me feel very uncomfortable but I wonder if people just react to being made to feel uncomfortable depending on who's who's making them feel uncomfortable
1: I think so. I mean, there was a, I had never heard this term really before, but people had referred to it as cringe comedy. And Mm. I, which made me a little sad because I feel like that sounds just cheap And, and it sounds like strange for strange sake or upsetting for upsetting sake. I mean, you know, the film was for both Brett and I a exorcism of feeling like you might not get to arrive at the life that you had imagined for yourself. You know, I was Mm -hmm. in my early thirties and he was in his late thirties and we were like, what's happening? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I I had painted the mountain for myself and I wasn't even in the Valley. And Mm. so I just was like, fuck, are we going to get there? And we had both felt so similar, but been living inside of, you know, our own bodies and, and we both came together on, we, we arrived at telling the story that was about anxiety, that was a fear of a failure, a fear of failing at your home life, your work life and your love life. And that was also on top of that, a commentary on a certain kind of white film that I felt had had no room for really either of us.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm. Well, I, I feel like the certain kind of white film you're talking about, Tends to um, fetishize or romanticize psychopathy. If I'm being, honest. I mean, Brett is basically playing a, playing a psychopath in Lemon.
1: <laughs> yes, <laughs> but it is,
0: but it's fine because he's a white man, and so he's sort of even though he is so obviously a hot mess to anybody watching the movie, nobody in the film, in, including Nia Long, sort of seemed to be able to suss it out right away, <laughs> and and that's what I thought you were so brilliantly saying, I I think I I put this on my Instagram post that you shade in the language of cinema, like when women are talking and you just cut away to another scene, like you, (laughs) (laughs) you're using like cinema to to throw shade and maybe people couldn't take it because if you love lemon you have to recognize that a lot of other movies that you loved are actually trash
1: (laughs) yes exactly or or that those other movies are you know kind of accept them as they are right and i they're operating
0: in a way that you should be aware of that maybe you're not
1: absolutely because there is it's privilege it's just privilege you know brett's character to a you or a me in life might immediately come off as like someone that's unhinged and un- unwell, mm-hmm. but, you know, especially what uh, eight years ago, seven years ago, whenever that movie is made, like can you imagine saying that you thought a white person felt unsafe? Right. And, and no one even wants to have that. We barely want to have that conversation now about unsafe Correct. white people. And that's basically what it is. It's like, he is unsafe, but he is white, and white equals safe. So how do you talk? How do you like engage with a person that's like that?
0: Yeah, and and you just see these people regularly engaging with this person, and against every fiber of evidence or logic, trying to see the best in him. <laughs> I just, I just think it's so genius, and I um, I, well, I don't he's know,
1: afforded I, the benefit of the doubt, like that. Yeah, that flesh affords you a benefit of doubt that.
0: You know, and it was, a, and it, and it was frankly yeah. a benefit of the doubt that your movie did not receive. I, I feel <laughs> like I feel like your choices were not leaned into by everybody. They were not assumed to have been choices. And I think there's some really important choices. I really think about this all the time because I see it as a kind of failure of film criticism as a whole. Do you feel the same way? Maybe not if you feel weird talking about your own movie, you know, I'm sure there are plenty no, of movies no, no. that you love.
1: Absolutely no, I do, and I I think like I was saying at the beginning, like I'm I'm grateful that we got you know kind of chewed up the way that we did. I mean, I am telling you, it felt bad, you know, it fucking felt mm-hmm. bad. It really, mm-hmm. it, it I thought it, it broke my my heart, my head, my everything, uh, mm. but it prepared me for my next movie, and I was able to you know, going knowing that we were going to go to Sundance, I was able to like say we needed to have black people writing about the movie. We needed women to write about the movie. This is a movie about two women and it is in the world of sex work. And the protagonist is black. And the movie is literally about a woman like reclaiming her agency. If a black person doesn't write about this movie, we have failed.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would and, agree.
1: So, and I didn't know, I guess I didn't know that about Lemon also because Lemon, I think Zola is more obvious, right? Like I made Zola, Zola is based on a Twitter story written by a black woman. It stars Mm -hmm. a black woman and that asking for that is like, duh. But I didn't know that I guess I still needed to kind of look at Lemon in that way, right? Like I was Mm -hmm. working with all these comedy performers. And a lot of them, a lot of the movie is, it is centered on whiteness and, and white actors. And, and I, I think I thought that people, I just thought they were going to get it. I think I thought that like the, the people who write about movies are smart enough and they'll know what I'm trying to say. And that it's also not, it is not an evisceration. Like it, it's actually, it was, it was, this is my thesis, you know, it mm-hmm. is, I am, I am, this is, a thought that i'm having and it's not meant to be like a hammer a, a nail in the coffin of a kind of genre i'm not spitting in the face of you know all of these artists that have made full careers on this i was just saying i have not been afforded the space to work in in a world that i think i belong mm. and And this is my, this is my offering. And, and my, this is what my package offers. Like, I think also lemon feels like a white movie made by a black person, which is like, Mm -hmm. obviously so stupid, but like, that's just like a base, a base thing on how a person writes about a movie, you know, like, I remember in, I think it's New York magazine. No, it's in the New Yorker. It's in the New Yorker. Mm, Probably like, Right after Lemon, it was probably this, maybe the same year or a year later, I made this VR short film um, that stars Lakeith Stanfield and yes. and Jodie Smith is in it and a, and a handful of other people that we know are in it. And um, the writer of the article who was writing about it wrote that I was black and that I had made white movies. Mm. And I was really angry. Angry about that because, but it was, I knew that that's how people thought it, but I just hadn't seen it written that way. And it was just so insulting to me. And like his point being, like, finally I was now like making something that looked like me. And I guess that was where I belonged or some dumb shit Mm. like that. But it made me angry because these are the people who are writing about work, you know? And they do decide where we belong or where we don't belong. And I think that the reception of lemon was so much about where I did or didn't belong. And that's not to say like everyone needed to love it and tell me I was incredible, but I, I thought it was going to be, I just thought people would understand it and and they it, mostly didn't, but the right people did.
0: I mean, I have to say, I actually think it's pretty outrageous that you were not, um, not just embraced, but, you know, heralded, frankly, more. Because, again, I just feel like everything you were doing in that film, if a white male or foreign white male director had done it, um, I think people would have immediately seen how brilliant that person was. And um, I'm just curious what you, I mean, you've brought this up before, um, talking about your career, but also talking about the film and in other ways, um, you know, sort of not getting what you deserve, like not, you know, um, having to work a little bit harder. Like, I know you've talked about having to be in the shorts phase of your career longer than like your white counterparts. Um, will you talk to me a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that And maybe there is, um, I'm trying to think of like what the right wording for this. I think that there is a degree of resilience that we've inherited. I say we, I'm lumping you into like me, even though we're not the same, but, um, but I, but I'm certain that you have it too. There's just like a, there's a degree of resilience that you just came with. I, I had nothing to do with it. It was just already there. Like it was in, it's in the DNA, Right. And um, the idea of, I don't know what of our version of like the, to, to quote the, you know, Malcolm McDowell sort of 10,000 hours. I, I don't know that 10,000 hours works for, for, it didn't work for me anyways. I think my 10,000 hours was <laughs> like 20, 25,100 yes. hours, you know, it was like, <laughs> <25 million laughs> whatever, <hours. laughs> yeah, just like, like double it, triple it, quadruple it, and then that's how many hours it was. Five hundred
0: twenty-five thousand.
1: <laughs> triple, tri- and then and then times two, and then that's what it was. Um, <laughs> and I I think that you get uh, you get kind of used to it or accustomed to it, right? I don't. It it hurt, but I got it. I mean, this also happened actually. Like it took me a really long time to get a first episode of television, and mm. and my manager was like in. Inst- mental in, in me arriving at my first episode of TV, but it took a really long time for me to get it. And I would go to these meetings, you know, pitch myself and someone would go, you know, but you just haven't done television. So I'm not sure. And at this point I was like, yeah, but I've done eight shorts. So obviously I can tell a story in under 20, like just shy of 25 minutes, you know, whatever, whatever the, I think TV is what 22 minutes with commercials. So I was like, oh, my last short was 21 minutes. Like, I'm close. I can do it. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And, and it just kept being like, you, you haven't done an episode of TV yet, so sorry. And yet I could cite all of these guys who had, like, not made features, who had made t- television shows or who had made, um, you know, one short and then suddenly were directing TV. And then I get my first episode of TV, which was amazing. And then, so I go out on those same generals again, and all of those people then said, you've only done one episode of TV. Ah,
0: oh, yes, they love to do that.
1: <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? Like, I couldn't believe, oh, shit, I've only done one. Okay, that's now. I didn't know it was going to, like, somehow change on me. Like, it was, I finally got to the one, and then it was, oh, I've only done one, and then I got to two, and then still some people that I met with were like, yeah, but you've only done two. And oh those all are just, they were never going to, you know, they were, they it was gonna take a lot to convince them that I could. Um, yeah. And I don't know that that's exactly answered your question, but I, I think that when I'm working on TV, sometimes I have found that I every day is a reset for me. Mm. And what I mean is, is that my, my last day isn't proof of confidence. <laughs> my last day isn't proof of like, she does her homework, Uh, She knows everyone's names. She knows what the things are called and she's really solid. Like every day is a new, it's like the last day didn't happen. I don't get to bring the day before with me as like a, and now I'm five steps ahead. I am Mm -hmm. always starting all over and I don't know, perhaps that will change, but I have found that like almost in all TV shows, there's some version of a reset for me. It was even the same on my feature. And this isn't with, it's not with everybody, you know, but it's with certain people that are invited into the process or whose processes you're invited to, that they're just always going to be a little condescending because they look at you and they think you don't belong. And, and the unfortunate thing is, is that there aren't enough people who look like you and me, who people can just name and cite for like, Oh, what, you know, what, if you say, what does a director look like? They're going to list probably, you know, like 10 white guys before even a woman is mentioned. So Mm -hmm. I think that that is like a part of the, where the ro- wiring is off,
0: and and I also I, I you might have even said this, but you know it's common. You know whether they call it compare and despair or comparison being the thief of joy, um, I think that is really true. Uh, as a as a filmmaker but i have to say as a black gay man it is it, i i have to notice like i have to at least acknowledge to myself um and people that i really trust when i feel as if i was not treated in the same way that i would have been if i came in a different form um and The thing that makes that so tricky is that it riles up all of my self-doubt and my inner saboteur and my feeling like I don't even have the right to complain. How do you manage that? Because it seems, at least from the outside looking in, you're incredibly resilient and you you have no problem just talking very calmly about these things. <laughs> how, you know, when, when, when you're sort of when you're sort of in your home <laughs> and there's no, you know, Instagram cam on or whatever, like, I, wh- how do you process that? Process that? What comes you know, up for you?
1: I decided a long time ago and I don't I don't exactly remember the moment. It was probably never to walk track. in anyone's shadow. <laughs> oh, that's good. You're good. <laughs> um, I I just, I decided at some point and I don't, I can't track the exact moment, but it was at some point where I was feeling like real boohoo on myself. Cause somebody was treating me badly or using like language that made me feel like you think I'm dumb. Um, mm. And I just decided that, Oh, okay. I, I, I am going it is, if I take this, it means it's going to be easier for the next person. And so like, I, I, the path that I am on is such that for every person that I interact with that has never worked with somebody like me that can't believe I know the words that I know. And like, can't believe I have the film references that I have. Like, I mean, it's so goofy, you know, to be on projects and be like, oh, I'm thinking a little bit, you know, in, um, to the films that I'll cite when I'm working, I can tell people being like, you've seen that? Um, Like they'll give me a face like that. And I just think like all it means is that the next guy or girl that comes along that looks like me, I believe it's going to be a little bit, I hope, at least I hope it'll be a little bit easier for them because I got the brunt of it. Does that make sense?
0: It does, And, and I, yes.
1: And whether or not it's true, it has been a part of my resilience, is deciding it's going to be a little bit easier for the next guy.
0: How do you know that you've done it? Because, you know, the thing that I've been dealing with just on a personal level is like, okay, yeah, critics are trash. Most of the reviews that I read, whether positive or negative, it's very obvious to me that this reviewer has no idea what what the words that they're using mean uh, when they say things like <laughs> juxtaposition. And, you know, when they talk, they use cinema terms, but they don't. This is just an opinion piece that they're just adding jargon into. Um, like... I I know that that's not a good place to look to know whether or not I've achieved something, um, but you know I've been gutted by a, a number of bad reviews throughout my my life and times.
1: So you you and read them.
0: I do, and I, and I, I ask. What, what I'm asking is like because I didn't know any better, and um, I'm working on like a system of like self. I did that, I achieved something here, but how do you know that you've done it? Like, how do, how do you know I'm satisfied with this work? I'm, I'm ready to put it out in the world and if people don't get it, fuck them.
1: Hmm, that's really good. I, I don't know that I have an answer for what exactly that feels like, except that it just is. And uh, maybe it's asking the question or answering the question of like, who is the work for? and mm. and i say that to mean i think someone asked me this before and i like really tripped up on it cuz i was like trying to think of like what's like the sexiest answer i can give and was like bah, 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 and it just like didn't <laughs> sound good and the reality was the answer is like it's for me i need it mm, i yeah. i the work is for me i'm basically you're making something that young justin wants to see right like I am reminded, as I'm sure you are, of like why I'm here and why I want to be in this and also just like because I'm supposed to be. And what are those seminal pieces that I saw that told me I even had a I had a place here or that I could or that like I want to do that thing. And so Zola, for instance, being the last thing that I worked on that was my own was like every inch of that was what I wanted, what I wanted to see. I was like, I want to see this. This is what's going to excite me. Like, I'm just thinking of myself sitting in the theater now, but even as a young person, I think mostly I'm looking at my like 18, 19 year old self that is like, you know, not myopic, totally rosy, very open, blue skies. And what's the thing that I want to make for her? Mm. And I I think that that's kind of what drives me is that, like, I want another girl who looks like me and a guy that looks like you to watch the thing and go, oh, there's space for me here.
0: Right, right.
1: Because I think people younger than us did something that I never did, which is I never looked at work and went, oh, I'm not in it. Like, Or at least I shouldn't say that you did that. I had just never... I don't think until someone said something like I didn't see myself in it and I just had never even like thought like that. I never thought like I didn't see myself in it. I never thought like, oh, that's an I just didn't even know I had because it's what I under what I understood or what I saw. So I had never considered like, oh, this is what it looked like when I'm there. I mean, I'd watched the Cosby show. So I had seen a show with like a little black girl and I remember thinking like I'm Keisha Knight. Pull him. I don't even know if that's how you say the name, but I, was <laughs> I think <absolutely> it's Pulliam. <laughs> Pulliam, great, great. I was like, I'm Rudy. Um, and then I had never really thought like, well, where else is Rudy in the world? I just never considered mm. that like Rudy could even be there. Cause she just wasn't. Um, and most of my cinematic heroes did not cast Rudy. Um, mm-hmm. and it wasn't. Yeah, I guess I just, and I also, maybe cause I just wanted to be behind the camera anyways. I hadn't even really considered it that that was an option. And I, and I have a clear sense of like, I do remember when I went, Oh my God, when my world opened up and I went, Holy shit, all of my heroes don't even know I exist. And I, um, and it was like going to see this like sci-fi movie, you know, like 10 years ago. I should just say what it is. I went and saw her and I, (laughs) I saw her, I think, I think it's in the same year or the same weekend. I think it's like all in the same calendar year of seeing her and Frances Ha and like Mm. these movies that were made by filmmakers that I really respected that when I walked out of them, I was like, oh, I'm not there. Mm. And I remember being with Brett and Brett said this awesome thing to me, which was that Richard Pryor had had this joke about Logan's hero which I've never seen Logan's Hero, but it's a movie that takes place in the future. And and the joke goes something like, No, I'm not gonna see Logan's Hero because there aren't any black people in the future. And so and and I <laughs> in like looking at her, I was like, I well, I kind of made it to the future. I was breakdancing in the corner and then I was the like corner. kind of in the background of that office. So like I guess some of us made it there. Um, and, you know, and Francis Ha, you know, well, I didn't even make it to waiter status, but that's okay. Um, and then I just found myself incredibly depressed that so many of like my contemporaries or the people that I had looked up to and admired hadn't even considered me.
0: Mm. Well, you know, I, it shouldn't be audacious for a black woman to make a film about white people, but it was and is, and you did that. And, what made you want to make white people the focus of your, your work then um, as a person who was feeling unseen or, or, or un, you know, underrepresented, I would say?
1: I think it was totally unconscious, to be honest. Like I just kept going back to these like demon characters. They were just sort of like, you know, white demons were who I kept writing. And perhaps it was like my own exorcism of having dealt with a lot of white demons who had uh, really tried to break and destroy me. And so it was my exorcism and calling out of their own demon spirit.
0: Mm. well girl you are the perfect you that is the perfect segue because you know demons was literally next on my list (laughs) that wraps up the first half of my conversation with janixa and don't fret because we've got another episode for you diving into her upcoming film zola her vr porn pitch and managing demons in every shade (laughs) be sure to tune in Okay. Here are the credits: Jason Smith, CEO, of Starburns Audio, producer; Jessica Gutierrez, audio engineer; Judith Kargbo, production coordinator; Chris Bowers did the theme song. Dominic German did additional music. Aaliyah Jihad and Brendan Smith produced the hell out of this show for Culture Machine. Thanks for listening. Starburns Audio,
1: podca- <clears throat> a podcast network.